Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Did you know verse 18 to verse 21 is one sentence? How many of you ever had to diagram a sentence when you were in school? Anybody ever have to do that? Can you imagine diagramming that one? I'm glad I didn't have to. When I was in school, they said, learn to diagram. You'll use it the rest of your life. That's a lie if I ever heard one. It did help me learn parts of speech, and for that I'm glad. I'm drawing a phrase out of one sentence, verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to preach a simple message tonight entitled The Attitude of Gratitude. Thank you very much. You may be seated, and we'll pray. Father, we love you and thank you for who you are, all that you do. If anybody is in church tonight that's not in Christ, May they get lost so they can get saved. Then help us to understand what a spirit-filled Christian really does and help us to have an attitude of gratitude, not occasionally, but regularly. And we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Evangelist R.A. Torrey was a powerful preacher of the Word of God. Often when he gave stories concerning aggressive evangelism, he would tell a true story that happened on Lake Michigan when an entire boat was preparing to sink and everybody on board had their life in danger. Meanwhile, on shore, there was a group of college students who formed a rescue party. Among them, there was a fellow by the name of Edward Spencer. Spencer that night single-handedly rescued 17 perishing people. Just before he passed out on shore, he looked at his friend and said, to do my best, do you think I did my best? Tory would tell that at least once in every meeting. He was preaching in Los Angeles, California, went into the story. Some people who knew and had heard it before realized that in the meeting was Edward Spencer. A man raised his hand and said, Mr. Torrey, I hate to interrupt you, but Mr. Spencer is in your service tonight. Torrey stopped and he said, sir, if you are here, would you stand? An elderly man whose body never recovered from the frigid waters of Lake Michigan slowly stood and people who knew the story began to applaud. Tory said, Spencer, would you come to the platform tonight and tell us in first person how that took place and the saving of 17 people. He came, he told the story. When he was finished, Tory put his hand on his shoulder and said, Mr. Spencer, is there anything about that night, that night where you almost died and you were giving yourself to rescue 17 people? Is there anything that's prominent in your mind, anything that you constantly remember about that night? Mr. Spencer said, yes, there is. He said, of the 17 people I rescued, nobody ever said thanks. That's too typical of the generation in which we live. 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2, this know also in the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of themselves, covetous, boasters, proud, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Right in the midst of the 19 heinous sins is the phrase unthankful. Romans 1.21, three sad words, neither were thankful. Yes. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. said, when the fire of gratitude dies on the altar of man's heart, that man is nigh well useless. I wonder tonight if you really have an attitude of gratitude. It'd be interesting for you to know that as I start this message, the word gratitude is never found in the Bible. 
You say, how are you going to preach on something that's not found? I said, the word's not found. But thanks and thanksgiving is found 131 times in 127 verses of scripture because it's prominent in the mind of God and prominent in the scripture. Interestingly enough, in the Anglo-Saxon tongue, the word thanks comes from the word to think. Put it together. Thanking people are thankful people. Let me say it again. Thinking people are thankful people. You say it with me. Thinking people are thankful people. Now, the Apostle Paul writes to a group of people who've been converted out of terrible paganism. As a matter of fact, they were drunks and sots and lived terribly, and then Jesus came into their lives, and he's teaching them how to walk in the Spirit. And so he explains that part of the Spirit-filled life is having an attitude of gratitude. First, I want you to see tonight the communication of gratitude. Notice he says, giving thanks always for all things. The word give carries the idea of sacrificing. Hebrews 13, 15, by him let us offer the sacrifice of praise. That's the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. Yes, we should think thankful thoughts, but we should speak thankful words. Psalm 15, verse 14, offer unto God thanksgiving and pay your vows. Psalm 92 and verse 1, it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord. If it's good to give thanks, it's bad if you don't. Would you like to be heard when you pray? Psalm 100 and verse 4 says, enter into his gates with and into his courts with praise. One of the reasons a lot of people don't have their prayers answered is because they'll pray, God answers. They never say thanks, they'll pray again. And God said, you didn't thank me the first time, why would I keep answering your prayers? If you want to be heard, you've got to get the attitude of gratitude. The 105th, 6th, and 7th Psalm, all in the first verse, said, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. There is the communication of thanksgiving, and God is expecting that of us. Now, it is an evident token of the fruit of the Spirit, because God says in verse 18, Be not drunk with wine with success, but be filled, controlled, under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. He gives a number of results of that, but one of them is you'll have an attitude of gratitude. You'll be perpetually thankful. Johnny Erickson Tata had a tragic accident years ago in diving. If you know anything about her, she's now a senior citizen consigned to a wheelchair. She's a quadriplegic because she jammed her neck. She had to learn to write again, but not with her hands. She learned to write with her teeth. She was taught how to pick it up and take the quill, and the first sentence she ever wrote in her life was this, gratitude is not as much feeling thankful as it is obedience. In Philippians 4, 6, it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and, and thanksgiving, or by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I have a question tonight. Do you have an attitude of gratitude? As a matter of fact, since I'm going to use it so much, you might as well just help me. I'll say attitude of, and you say gratitude. Let's try it. Attitude of? Oh, you're not helping me. I preach a long time when you don't cooperate. So you want to get out, so just help me out here. All right, we need an attitude of? Send an attitude of? Now hold that in mind because you never know when I'm going to quiz you to see if you've got that down. First, there's the communication of it. Second, there's the continuation of it. Everybody look down at verse 20 for it says, giving thanks always. Say with me the word always. Here we go. Always. Again, please. Always. Somebody asked me one time, what does always mean? 
Always, always means always. That's what always, always means. You say, say that again? Sure, always, always means always. That's what always, always means. It means there's no time in your life that you should not have an attitude of? You see, you know, I told you I'm going to catch you, so you've got to stay with me every moment of the time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul said, I thank God always for you all. In Psalm 34 and verse 1, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. You say, well, preacher, Paul didn't have it like I did. No, he had it worse than you have it. Nobody in this building has ever suffered like the Apostle Paul. He was not in the Hilton eating pheasant under glass. He was in prison on a starvation diet. When he wrote, you make the choice to rejoice and you have an attitude of gratitude. Now, dear friend, do you realize there are seasons for sports? Some of you really like sports. Football season is still here and we're going to head for the Super Bowl. Basketball season comes in, baseball season, but guess what? It's open season on gratitude. There are seasons for growing fruit. I live in Florida. Some of you, when it gets real cold here, will wish you did, but I live in Florida. And strawberry season is on the way. Does anybody here like strawberries? If you go to heaven, you'll like them then, I promise. And we like strawberries at our house but they only there are seasonal. Then you got to get them out of California and you can't stand those things, get them from Florida. But we like strawberries. Now look, there's blueberry season, there's apple and orange season, open season on an attitude of? See, you're helping me now and I'm preaching better all along. So when you have an attitude of? That's because it's part of the filling of the Spirit of God. His name was Alexander White, White was a famous preacher in Scotland. He was known as the praise preacher. He was always telling his people to praise God for something. For three solid days, it had rained in the city where he was the pastor. I mean, we would say down south, it was raining cats and dogs. It was Sunday morning. It was still raining. The people assembled in the pews, and they set up, and they were going to find out what Pastor White was going to praise God for on a dreary, soggy Sunday morning. White got to the pulpit, smiled at his congregation and said, let us pray. He prayed the following, dear Heavenly Father, thank you that every day is not like today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now there's certain times you just gotta thank God that the end is close in sight. There is the communication, there's the continuation, and finally tonight, there's the concentration of this matter of gratitude. If you look at the text, it says, giving thanks always for all things. Tonight, I want to tell you some things I'm thankful for, and I think you'll identify. Number one, I'd like to thank God for freedom. If you're glad that you live in the United States of America, say amen. If you're not, we'll give you a one-way ticket anywhere, and you can stay there. I thank God for the privilege to be an American. I've been in 56 or seven different countries preaching all over the world, and there's no place like this place. We have our problems, but thank God I'll put up with the problems we got here for all the mess everywhere else I've been in this old world. And I thank God for our freedoms. Now, let me explain something. We don't have freedom tonight in America because we're the nuclear people of the, of the entire world. No, sir. We have it because this nation was founded on a book called the Word of God. Because Almighty God, I believe, brought this nation into existence. Yes. Psalm 127, 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. 
except the watchman, or except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wakes, but in vain. Good friend, stop and think about the sacrifices that allow us to have the freedoms that you're enjoying in 219, 243 or four years into the founding of the United States with the 1776 Constitution. As I've traveled this old world, I've, known some, I've noticed something. Most of the world is not free like we are. Now, there are people tonight who chose not to come to church, but in the United States, we still have the freedom to come. And the truth of the matter is, I don't get people who are canceling their services. Last I checked the Bible, the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much more as you see the day approaching. That's the day of the coming of Jesus. How many of you tonight believe Jesus is coming? Would you wave at me? Well, then why are we meeting less? Why don't we meet more? We ought to be excited about the return of Jesus Christ. But you've come tonight and you're exercising the liberties that God has given you. As we were in Germany some years ago, I'd preach Sunday to Wednesday and then we'd tour. We went to a place called Dachau. It's an old concentration camp. My father fought in World War II. And so I happen to be very strong with veterans and the people that have served in the United States military. There is a museum there that'll make you sick because you'll see people that were treated literally like animals and sometimes worse. My wife went through a few of the pictures and got physically sick and she said, honey, I can't do this. And I said, you just go sit in the lobby. I'll be there. And I looked at every picture. I saw how they harnessed them up like animals and made them plow their fields. I saw that how many of them had been executed and stacked up like firewood. People with just skin over their faces looked like skeletons. And my heart was broken. Then we went outside and stood in the open area and it was very cold. My wife said, honey, it's freezing out here. I said, dear, just stand here a moment. Notice you have on a warm coat. I said, the people were in prison issue. They'd stand at attention sometimes for hours and one after the other would just fall over dead. I said, you and I don't know anything about that. They've reconstructed a couple of the barracks and I don't know how anybody could get their body into one of the beds that was rodent infested. And if you remember, they had many of the concentration camps that had the gas chambers. They made it appear that these people were gonna get a shower, but they would cut all of the gold out of their teeth melted down for the coffers of the Third Reich. They would zip off their hair and cram it into pillows and then they would put them in like animals. They would seal the door and as they waited for the water to come, it was gas. A matter of moments, they were out in eternity. In Dachau, you can still see the ovens where the bodies were incinerated and I got out on all fours and looked up in there and thought about how many people had been shoved in and their ashes had floated through the outer space and I thought to myself, we need to thank God every day we are alive for the United States of America. Some years ago, I was doing a graduation at a certain Christian school. I'd seen teenagers do this and it bothered me, but I watched four adults, number one, who refused to pledge allegiance to the flag. Number two, they refused to sing the Star Spangled Banner. I got to tell you, I grew up fist fighting and I was absolutely irked, upset, and mad enough to mug an Avon lady, if you understand what I mean. I thought to myself, I'm going out and clean house on four adults and then come back and preach in the spirit, amen. I had to confess everything in my life because I was upset. You know, dear friend, make sure that you teach your children 
that liberty came at a very expensive price. And I thank God for the good old USA. Thank God for freedom. Number two, I thank God for my faculties. Now, the word faculty means the power to do. You've done this once, I want you to do it again. Would everybody take your right hand? Just remember that you have two of them. Get the right one. All right, hold it up and wave it at me just like this. Thank you, I'm insecure. It makes me feel much better. Did you know what allowed you to do that? You heard what I said. You saw what I did. Your brain took it to the rest of your body and your faculties performed because God made you that way. Psalmist said, I'll praise thee for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made marvelous of the works of thy hands and that my soul knoweth right well. Proverbs 20 and verse 12 says, the hearing ear and the seeing eye of the Lord hath made both of them. Now you can go in and get a false sign, stick it in your socket, but it won't see. You can sew an appendage on the side of your head, but it won't hear because God makes the elements of your body so they perform properly. Have you folks ever stopped long enough to really think about what a mechanical marvel you are? Everybody take your right hand, make a fist out of it. Would you do that? Now just take a look at that fist. That's just about the size of your heart. Now according to those in science, if you're a man, your heart weighs a little bit more than a woman. Somebody asked me one time, why does a man's heart weigh a little bit more than a woman's heart? It's real simple. It takes more love for a man to love a woman than a woman to love a man. Amen. Now that heart's going to thump and rest 100,000 times today. Some of you got tired when I said that. 100,000 times today. You didn't get out of bed this morning and look down and say, don't you quit, we're both in trouble. You didn't even think about that. You just got up and went about your business and took your shower and got everything properly in place. You've got, this heart's going to be, if you live over 70 years, going to be 2.5 billion times in a lifetime. It's going to send 10 pints of blood, blood through 60,000 miles of veins, arteries, and capillaries. And you don't really even consider it. God does it while you're in motion. That's an amazing thing. You have a brain, and that brain can receive, hang on, 10 new thoughts of information every second of life. Some of you met people who hadn't had 10 new thoughts in their life. But you have the potential every second of life. Gerhard Dirks, founder of the IBM Computer, said, if we made a computer to match the human mind, we'd have to house it in a building the size of the Empire State Building. It's an amazing thing. You have touch receptors about 1,300 per square inch. Why are they important? You put your finger on something that's hot, your brain says, idiot, move your finger, and you do. You have taste buds. And you bite down on something and all of inside of you begins to explode and everything comes to your mind. You go have a Mac attack, Big Mac, large order of fries and a Coke. You put a wad of those fries in your mouth and you chomp down and all of a sudden the taste buds are talking. They're saying grease, salt, potatoes, heart attack. And they're talking to you. But thank God, what a way to go. You know, amazingly enough, this is housed in 20 square feet of a waterproof covering. You see, what do you mean waterproof? You do realize when you shower, you don't drown. And I have a question. When's the last time you really paused to thank God for the way he made you? Well, preacher, I got braces. Thank God you've got teeth to put braces on. 
Well, I got glasses. Thank God you can still see through those glasses. Somebody said I complained because I had no shoes till I met a man who had no feet. A number of years ago, I was in the state of Alabama and the pastor said, I'm gonna take you to meet a 16-year-old teenage boy who has never walked and never talked in his entire life. He said, now we're going to a very unique hospital and he said, you're gonna have to understand what I'm telling you because you probably won't stay otherwise and he was right. I'd never been in a place like that. This little boy's name was Joey, J-O-E-Y. When Joey was a baby, his drunken daddy walked in and in an inebriated condition, not knowing what he was doing, he stepped on the back of his son and snapped his vertebrae. Nobody knew why Joey lived to be age 16. I walked in and took a look at that young man and I had to hold back the tears. I stood at the bottom of the bed. The pastor lovingly went to the bedside and put his hand on Joey's shoulder. He said, Joey, this is pastor. I've come to see you. That young man opened his eyes and tried to move his arm. If I took two of my fingers and put them together, that'd be the biggest part of his arm anywhere. I took three of them and put them together, that'd be the biggest part of his leg. He looked like a skeleton with some skin on. Remember, he has never talked and he's never walked, but he tried to talk to the pastor and he, his, his language was, I stood at the end of the bed and I thought, I wonder how many teenage boys who got upset and fussed at God because they couldn't make the cut on the ball team would like to lay in the bed all of their life like Joey. He never could dial a number and ask a girl to go out with him because he couldn't even see the numbers to dial. I wonder if you're really grateful for your faculties. Number three, I'm thankful for my family. I wish you had a chance to meet my entire family. I have a son that'll be 40 years of age in just about eight or nine days, and he's a senior pastor. I have a daughter that's single. She's an ER nurse and travels the world in mission work, and I have a son in-law married to our youngest daughter with four children and he's a senior pastor and she's a pastor's wife and the, these three children never caused us any major conflict. They were children just like your children. They had to have spankings like your children have to have but they've grown up to honor their parents and bless God and we've been so excited about that. You know, I, as we were raising our kids, I told my wife, we will be tough on them and we will discipline them, but we're going to encourage them. I wonder how you speak to your children. It's one thing when you say you are so stupid versus saying, you know what, son? That's not you. That's not the way we operate here. You're far smarter than that. You can do better than that. You keep telling your kids you're stupid and you keep berating them and when they get married and have kids and don't come home, don't forget the reason they don't come home is because what you said when they were growing up. Amen. You better be careful how you speak of and to your family. But be careful how you speak to your wife, how you speak to your husband. You better be careful how you speak about your folks. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents were two of the godliest people to this day I've ever met. I, I, if they ever argued, I never heard it. They must have argued in sign language because we just had a great home. And they were wonderful, wonderful people. And then they came to the senior years and my father got uh, Parkinson's disease. My mother had Alzheimer's. And their latter days were not pretty days. 
But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's good all the time. My sister called me. She said, if you want to see Daddy alive, you better come. I was in Virginia Beach for a meeting, and so my wife and I got in the car and drove from Virginia Beach to Greensboro, North Carolina. I walked into the room, and I noticed my father's eyes were glazed. I spoke to him, but he didn't return the speech. We always called. We always talked. I'd call him every Saturday night. Dad, we just finished a meeting and drove from. Had so many people saved there. We're in such and such a city. I appreciate you praying for us. I would tell him, write to him often. My mother, I would send her flowers and did everything I could while they were alive because there comes a day, don't you forget what I'm going to teach you now, you don't send flowers. You don't send cards and you don't make phone calls because they're gone. I went to my sister's house and my wife and I prayed, Lord, we'd like to talk to Daddy one more time. So the next morning, 8 o'clock, I was back in the room. I noticed his eyes were clear and he had a little smile on his face and I walked over, put my hand on his shoulder and I said, Daddy, do you know me? Here are the last words he ever said to me. Bless you, boy. Now for some of you, you're not going to get this till you go home and think it through. But if you understand the Bible, when a man blessed his son, God blessed his son. That's a whole message you don't have time to hear. But I got the blessing before he left. We spent a little while together and I said to my wife, you know, most of the time we share everything together. I need just to spend a little time with dad alone. This may be the last go round. Everybody went out of the room and dad couldn't get up and he kept looking at me and he, after he'd said, bless you boy, never said anything else, kept trying to say it but it wouldn't come out. So he couldn't get out of bed, so I crawled in bed with him. Wrapped my arms around him, planted a kiss on his head. I looked at him, I said, Daddy, I love you. If I ever amount to 10 cents in the ministry from a human standpoint, you'll be the reason. I said, I respect you. I've learned so much from you. I said, now, it's not long until you're going home. I said, you go on home and I'll follow you one day and it won't be too long and we'll be together in heaven. And he smiled and he cried and I cried. Then I let everybody back in and his closest friend named Bob, they were called to preach on the same night, came in and I whispered to him, Bob, I've got to go. I said, I don't know how long daddy's going to last, but I've got to go back and preach tonight. I said, I'm going to put his hand in your hand. You keep his attention. I've got to go. And Bob did and I walked down the hallway and my wife and I held each other and we sobbed on the way probably last time we knew we'd see daddy and it was. He lingered nine days and uh, they called and said he's gone home. So I left the meeting where I was and came to do his funeral. And I saw the little lady that had watched over him. And I went to her and I called her by name. And she told me where his clothes were. And I was cleaning out everything. I said, now the last words he said to me were, bless you, boy. Did my dad ever say anything else? Now you remember the last thing I said to him. One of them was, you going home, I'll see you soon. She said, you want to know? I said, oh, yeah, I want to know. She said, all right, I'll tell you. She said, the morning he passed away, she said, I washed his face and combed what hair he had left, and he smiled at me and said, I'm going home. Never said another word, no matter moments he was gone. I hope you're listening to me. I've said all I love you as I can ever say this side of eternity. I've hugged he and mama as many times as I can hug them. I did everything I could to honor them while they were here. I have a question. How are you treating your family? You may be sitting here tonight and you're 70 years old and you got a 92-year-old dead and you're bitter. Why would you be bitter? 
Well, you don't know how he treated me. No, but I know how we treated Jesus. And he didn't say on the cross, Father, damn them. He said, Father, forgive them. Well, they know not what they do. You say, you don't understand. I was adopted. You ought to go home and make a trampoline out of the bed. Because I don't understand. Well, today, if you adopt a child, it'll cost you about $30,000. That'll get you started. And if you raise that child to age 18, it'll cost you about a quarter of a million dollars. And everybody that's sitting in this building tonight that was adopted and taken care of by somebody needs to understand those somebodies didn't have to have you. But they wanted you. And I'd just like to ask you tonight, are you really thankful for your family? Some of you need to go home tonight, make some phone calls. Some of you need to take, send some text messages. Some of you need to go this, during this Thanksgiving time and say I'm some, some I love you. Now, before I'm thankful for food, how many of you like to eat? Would you raise your hand? People woke up just at that moment. Wonderful. Psalm 68, 19, blessed be God who daily loads us with benefits. You and I live in the bread basket of the world. There is no place like this place. When the wall fell in Russia, I took 16 preachers and we went over and preached and I can remember the lines. I don't exaggerate because they told me some of the lines were a mile long, people trying to get into some place to get something to eat and there wasn't much to choose from. You don't know anything about that. You've never been to a grocery store where the shelves were bare. We live in an amazing place. I was preaching in India and I'd get up at five o'clock in the morning to jog because by the time it got to be seven, it was so hot you can hardly breathe. I tied my shoes the first day and took off and I noticed as I was going down the road there were some beggars and they were reaching in the sewer and I do not exaggerate and taking something out from the sewer and wiping it on their clothes and putting it in their mouth. You've never done that. I preached in Africa among the Maasai people, the ones with the long earlobes, and they make their houses out of woven sticks and put cow manure while it's wet on the top and it dries, and that's their little house. And you crawl in and sit down, and the lady was stirring with a stick. Something made me nauseous just looking at it, and she had three little girls, and I said to my translator, please ask the lady how long it's been since she and the children ate. And she said, four days. Most of you in this building have never missed four meals. One of the things my wife and I are seeking to do every time we have a meal is not just bow our heads and blow through a prayer, but really express genuine gratitude for what is sitting in front of us. Are you teaching your children to have an attitude of? See, I caught you. You weren't ready. I said, are you teaching your children to have an attitude of? In our house, you did not complain about what you were going to eat or you didn't eat. Preach your mean. You call it anything you want. Our kids call us just about every day. We have a wonderful relationship, but one of the things I did not tolerate was complaining. My son complained when he was a little boy. He said, Daddy, I don't want that. I said, fine, you can go sit down. But I want to eat. I said, no, you're not going to eat. Not till tomorrow. And if you complain tomorrow morning, you won't eat till tomorrow night. And if you complain tomorrow night, you may die. <laughs> you know, it's an amazing thing. He never complained again. We just let our kids get away with everything. 
Mom and dad get in the car and teenagers get in the back of the car. Dad says, okay, we're going out back. Teenagers says, I don't want to go out back. I want to go to Red Lobster. My house, you'd have said that. We'd have gone out back and you'd have had Red Lobster. <laughs> you wouldn't have sat down for the rest of your life. It's time we learn to give God gratitude for the food that he has given to us. And then finally, I thank God for my faith. Take your Bible and stay in Ephesians and go to chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. Look please at verses eight and nine. The Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Some of you guys are studying your Bible very carefully and theologians love to argue sometimes about nothing, but they love to argue. And so the issue on the table at a certain conference was, is it grace or faith that is the gift? And I'll answer that. It's all a gift. Everything about salvation is God's gift to us that we don't deserve. So I want to say tonight, if you've never received the gift, notice a gift can be presented, but if it's not accepted, then it's not yours. People make salvation so hard. They, they got 97 things you got to do and two others to add to that. And then in case you, boy, people are confused. The truth of the matter is we are sinners. Jesus is not a savior. He's the only savior. When he died on the cross, he was paying for our sin with his red royal blood. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. He was buried and raised again and validated who he is. One man got mad at me because I preached Jesus was the only way to heaven. He said, what about all the other uh, leaders of all the other religions? And I said, name one of them that died, was buried and raised again, and we'll discuss it. He said, well, you got me there. I said, no, we got you permanently. Jesus is the only risen Savior. And if all the others couldn't save themselves, how do you think they could save you? But since Jesus did what he was, came to do and is who he says he is and validated it by his resurrection, then if you'll admit you're a sinner and he's the only savior and you'll invite him to come live in your life, it's not what you pay, it's paid for. It's not what you do, it's already done. But if you'll invite him to come live in your life, he'll come inside you and take away every sin and put your name in the book of life and abide with you forever and you'll be a child of God. If that's not happened to you, may it happen tonight. But let me ask you a question. If you know all that, if you understand you're a sinner and sentenced and the sacrifice, if you know everything about salvation, where did you learn it? You learned it from this book. Because this is God's gift to us. This is God's living word. So I have a question tonight. When you look at this book, are you really grateful? When was the last time you bowed your head when you opened the Bible and said, Dear God, thank you for this precious gift? Probably the average person sitting here tonight has four or five, maybe six copies of the Word of God in your home. I wonder if you really appreciate it. When the walls fell in, uh, the, behind the Iron Curtain, within a few weeks, we were there preaching the Word of God. 
we took in or shipped in 27,000 copies of the Bible and gave them away. Boy, was it exciting. I got up for the rest of the guys and I was down on the city streets and I had my pockets loaded with tracks and I would give them out and they were gone and I don't exaggerate in five minutes. They were begging me for the word of God. We preached everywhere. I mean, on the city streets and the subways, we had people saved right and left. I, they'd knocked down some of the statues of Stalin and Lenin, and I stood up where the statues were and preached Jesus. We had a time, time, time preaching the Word of God. One night, a friend of mine was preaching, and a little Russian lady came in, and she had on a tattered sweater in the dead of the winter, missing a couple of fingers on her right hand, sat down very humbly, listened to the word of God, responded to the invitation and got saved. The pastor took a copy of the word of God to present to her and she began to speak and cry. I turned to my translator and I said, what's the woman saying? He said, she's saying she's never touched a Bible and cannot afford one. And I found out in 1990 when I was there that a copy of the word of God costs too much wages to a Russian person. She was getting one for free. Finally, when he explained to her, no, these are gifts from the Americans, the first thing she did was take the Bible very gently and hold it up, and she started praying. She's just gotten saved. I said, my translator, what's she saying? She says she's thanking God for the first Bible she's ever touched, and she's thanking God that she's going to be able to read it for the rest of her life. And as she is crying, every man I had was crying. The second thing she did was kiss it. And the third thing she did was sit down and cradle it like women cradle a little baby to nurse. And she'd just go back and forth and tears coming down her cheeks. I preached around the world and I've never seen anybody else do it just like that. The Bible was precious to her. Is it precious to you? Do you get out of the bed in the morning and say, I have a wonderful opportunity today to open God's love letter to me? And to hear from him and see how my life can be directed and controlled by his power. I'm going to express gratitude to him and thank him for this precious book. His name was Harlan Popoff. I'd be interested to know, has anybody in this building ever read the book Tortured for His Faith by Harlan Popoff? You've read it? You've read it? A few of you have. You can still get it, I think. And if you can get it, you ought to buy it. It's a worth read. Popoff went to a communist prison for two reasons. One, he was a believer and wouldn't renounce his faith. Two, he was a preacher and wouldn't stop preaching. And so they put him on a starvation diet. And he writes in his journal that he was in the compound and they were kind of getting some exercise, walking back and forth. And he said he, he saw a man who had a little black book and he ripped out a page and poured in some tobacco and licked either end and wrapped it up and lit it and started smoking whatever that paper was. Popoff said he got close and he said, my lens, that's a New Testament. He said, I reached out and grabbed it and we began to tussle and I thought, it's not mine. I can't have it. But he said, I was so starved for the word of God that if he'd said, sir, I don't know why you want this book, but I'll tell you what, you cut your arm off, you're going to have it. He said, without hesitation, I would have cut my arm off and handed it to him for what was remaining in that little book, the Bible. He said, the man had pity on me. He said, I don't know why you want this thing, but you can have read it, rest of it. Popoff said, I poured over it for days because I knew it wouldn't be long till the communists would come and confiscate it. It wasn't but a few weeks and on a starvation diet, 
He read and he prayed over it and memorized 47 chapters of the Bible. Do you know 47 verses? I'm thankful tonight for my freedom. I'm thankful tonight for my faculties and my family. I'm thankful tonight for every mouthful of food that God's given, and I'm thankful for faith. I deserve to be in hell. But thank God he heard a sinner's cry, and I got saved. Jesus came across this crowd tonight. He said, I know who has an attitude of gratitude and who doesn't. The following folks come and stand with me, says Jesus, as he stands on this, on this platform. There's no use in you raising your hand. I know who's lying, who's telling the truth, but I'm gonna point you out. And I want the following folks to come and I want you to stand with me because I know you have an attitude of gratitude. Would you be sitting or standing? Everybody in this building has an answer to that. Would you be sitting or standing? Yonder in the state of Tennessee lived an old man and his wife didn't have much but they had each other. They were hardworking farm people and one day the old man passed. His wife was broken hearted. She wasn't sure how she was going to bury him and she wanted to make a tribute to him but she sure, certainly didn't have enough money for a headstone. She went and found the flattest rock that she could find and his old tools and she carved something in that rock to honor him. Only a handful of people came to the funeral, but they were all interested to know what was on that rock. And when the service was over, they filed by slowly. They looked down, and to their amazement, the little lady had taken those crude tools, and in honor of her beloved husband, she had written these words about him. He was always thankful. Let's bow our heads to pray. How many of you tonight know beyond a shadow of a doubt if you dropped dead just like you are, you'd go to heaven? Would you raise your hand? Thank you, take it down. You know, friend, I say this often, it's not a crime not to know you're going to heaven, but it's hell not to be saved. You can know about Jesus and not know Jesus. You can know about the Bible and still not be saved. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I wonder if there's anybody in this Sunday night service and you'd say, preacher, I don't know. I just don't know. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. I can't prove that from my Bible, but I'd like to be sure. I'd like to say thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, burying, being buried and raised again for me. I'm not sure I'm going to heaven, but I'm sure I don't want to go to hell. Preacher, would you pray for me? Now, friend, I'd love to pray for you but wouldn't know you had the need unless you'd share it. You don't need to say one word. But as my eyes are open and I'm looking all across this building, I wonder if there's somebody to say, Preacher, I'm just not sure. I'm not certain I'm going to heaven, but I'd like to be sure. Please pray for me. Would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Anybody else? I just don't know, but I'd like to be sure. Anybody else? Pray for me. Thank you. I'll pray for you. Anybody else? I just don't know. Thank you. I'll pray for you. Heavenly Father, I lift these folks up to you. You know their condition. You know everything about them, and I pray you'll draw them to Jesus this very night. 
Now let's all stand with our heads bowed, please. Please don't play, just wait. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the word of the living God. We thank you for who you are, and we pray in Jesus' name now that you'll speak to your people. Now we're bowed before the Lord when God gave me this message. He not only gave me the message to give to you, but he gave me the message for me. And I really had to deal with some things in my life concerning an attitude of gratitude. As we're bowed before the Lord tonight, I wonder how many of you just have to say, Preacher, sometimes I am thankful. But to say that I have an attitude of gratitude, no, I can't say that. To say that it's open season, to say there's the communication, the continuation of it, no, I really can't say that. But as a child of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to start this very Sunday night, just after 7 p.m., and I want God to give me an attitude of gratitude. I don't want to just hear the service. I don't want to just hear the message. I want beginning tonight to have an attitude of gratitude. God spoke to my heart like he spoke to your heart. Would you pray for me beginning tonight here in this service, right here and right now, I want to have and I'm willing to have an attitude of gratitude. Please pray for me. If that's your heart and your desire, would you raise your hand all over this building? Just hold them up all over this building. That's me. And Father, help us tonight to do what we are glad a million years from this night that we did in Jesus' name. Would you look this way, please? Again, I want to thank you for tremendous attention. There are churches I go in and when I'm finished preaching on Sunday night, I'm glad I'm going home. This is not one of them. Because I found some people tonight and this morning who have learned how to hear the word of God. The good pastor is going to come and stand here down front. There are just many, many, many of you said beginning tonight, I want an attitude of gratitude in a moment. We're not going to play the piano. We're not even going to sing. But I'm going to ask you if you're sincere about that, leave your seat and come and stand with the pastor. He's going to give you a word of encouragement Then we're going to pray together. And then there's a few of you tonight, and here's what you said. I just don't know I'm going to heaven. Now listen carefully. Nobody can receive help that doesn't want help. Let me say it again. Nobody can receive help that doesn't want help. When God's people begin to come and stand here, if you don't know for sure you're going to heaven, you come right exactly where pastor is and just say, I don't know. I'm not sure. If you're a lady, a lady will pray with you. If you're a man, a man will pray with you. And you can have that matter settled before you ever go to that parking lot and it'll never bother you again. You need to express an attitude of gratitude for what Jesus did on the cross for you because if you'd been the only sinner that ever lived, he'd still died in your place. Pastor, would you kind of come and just stand right here? So many of you raised your hand, said beginning tonight, I want an attitude of gratitude if that's true about you, would you just leave your seat right now and just come and stand down here all over this building? You leave your seat. We'll wait on you. I don't know for sure I'm going to heaven. Would you leave your seat and come? Would you just say, I, I want to get that matter settled tonight. I want to be sure that I know Jesus. You just come tonight and let us take a Bible and help you from the Word of God. 